You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Monday, the 17th of October, 2022. Thank you all for tuning in on today's program. In a minute, we're going to be looking at a... This was a Sunday special Ben Shapiro program. This is um, a program that Ben Shapiro does. Um, basically interviewing guests at different times. Um, one person that many of you will probably obviously know of is John MacArthur. John MacArthur was on it but a year, two years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, so we're going to be looking at that in a second. It was an interesting interview between um, Ben Shapiro was interviewing Seth Dillon of the Babylon Bee, and um, I was listening to it. I'm not a fan of the Babylon Bee. Uh, I find the odd few things that they put out funny and things like that. But I'm just I'll comment on that in a while. I, in regards to the Babylon Bee. But what was interesting, one of the reasons why I want to comment on it is because the abortion issue came up. And also the issue of Town Square being Twitter and uh, various sort of things that I think will be useful in this, which is probably going to be, well, actually, no, today is the last day for programs. And I'll tell you very good news in a second uh, why that is. So um, I'm... I'm hoping to get an an extra program done today to put up on the website because Megiddo Radio will be going away for a while after whatever shows get recorded today. It'll either be one or two. And I'm sure you'll be able to figure out if a second one's coming. No, I pretty much think there'll be a second one after this program on the Larger Catechism, which I have right in front of me. And I'm going to be recording pretty much back-to-back. Um... On the first program, we're going to be responding to this with regards to the abortion issue and things like that. But better get get into the big news. The big news is yesterday, as of 3 p.m., uh, I received a call from a congregation within our denomination. That's Reform. That's uh, Rathray Island Reform Presbyterian Church um, over the moon. Um, so, if, if for those of you not aware, uh, I finished my training. The end of when was it? Jill, end of June, and so I've been waiting since the end of my training for a call, and uh, I've received a call yesterday. Now I haven't officially received it yet. I, for those of you not aware of uh, Presbyterianism, and look, every even Presbyterian denominations do this slightly differently from one from another. But here's what we do anyway. Um, so I finished my training. I've been licensed to preach the gospel by my presbytery. They basically. You know, they've assessed me through the college, and I've meet the the, qual- the qualifications that they would see according to our code and things like that, which is the basic laws of our church, which are subordinate to the to the Word of God. And um, so, I've been licensed to preach the gospel since last year, September of last year, and I had some graduate placement to finish off before I was eligible for a call within our within our denomination, and. Now, um, a church within our denomination has voted to make out a call to me, 
which is I'm still pinching myself. Um, I've <laughs> been on a high ever since I've heard about it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit surreal. I've been in some ways I've been thinking about this moment probably for well over ten years, and since I submitted to the Lord to be trained, and back in 2011 when I. I felt the call to ministry before then. I was I was a novice, so I would have been too early before that. But when I finally said, "Lord, if you want me to go into the ministry, I'll go into the ministry," so it feels very, very emotional. Very, um, yeah, it's just it's it's just amazing news, and um, it's very much the final part. It's the thing you gear towards. It's the to have a church of your own. Um, Please pray for myself and my family. We're going to be praying about this call over the next few weeks. I don't want to be just, you know, willy-nilly, casually going into this. Um, the call will probably officially be presented next month after it's looked over by our presbytery first. And um, and what else? I mean, there's not really much else there. Uh, it's wonderful news. And uh, we will be just praying about it. Is this the Lord's will? Because we don't want to be presumptuous, but um, yeah, and uh, we're, we're we're really really happy about that. And so, with that, I and this was a decision I made months ago. As soon as a call came in, this program will be put aside for a period of time. And there's a couple of possibilities. One possibility is six months from the time of ordination, I will consider perhaps bringing it back. Um, so this is going to be summer next year. Uh, it may also be later than that. It may be a year later. Um, it, it just depends. It just depends, and I won't really know until I get working. And uh, the other possibility, and I have not taken this off the table, is is not doing get a radio anymore. No, don't cry, everybody. <laughs> the reason is, look, I don't know, and I have to really just reassess when I get in there and pray about it, and um, I have to be all in wherever I go, and I, especially in the first year, six months or whatever, I need to be focused all upon that, and then perhaps if there's extra time, my my inkling is that Megiddo Radio will come back. It will be audio only. I won't be doing any more video. It's just too time consuming. Um, there's a good chance the Megiddo Films website will be gone. Megiddo Media will be gone. All that will remain, I will. I'm, I plan to get back to blogging again at some stage. Uh, the Megiddo Review, which might be... That website might need some work at the moment, um, but the Megiddo Review and the and Megiddo Radio, I think, do have a future. But the the work, the ministry comes first, and uh, nothing um, can, you know, first focus is going to be on um, the people that God has put under uh, the care of the, the session that I become a part of. So. There's a lot to think about, and it's not something I'm going to be rushing into. Again, all possibilities are on the table. I do think we get a radio will come back, but there's a possibility it won't. And uh, it just depends which is which will serve the people where I where I go the best, and that has to be my first and for, foremost primary 
concern, my primary, um, yeah, because it, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to kind of get pulled away from different things. And the fruit of the internet, it can seem exciting. Look at all the views and all this kind of thing. And you just kind of, well, okay, I'm sure it does help. But some of the the most wonderful emails I've ever gotten over the years in the 11 years I've been doing this have been people who said they've left pretty bad churches or they've gotten saved. Um, I've gotten a few of those over the years. Um, and they've gone from pretty bad, possibly heretical churches and have gone to now reformed, sound, biblical churches. From a distance, I realize more and more over the years, the, hopefully it's wisdom and all that kind of stuff. From a distance, all this kind of stuff, the internet looks so amazing, but it promises so much and delivers so little. You have to be involved in people's lives. You have to be in their homes. You have to get to know them. You don't meet people on Facebook. Apologies for this rant. It's going to tie in a little bit with what I say in a second, because with you know, with the video I'm going to be looking at in a second, you know, seeing Twitter as the town square, which I think is utterly depressing, that we think Twitter is the town square, whether that is true or not. If that is true, I think we need to change that. But we need to be involved in each other's lives. Now, if the best you can do with people is Skype them and all that kind of stuff, fine. But it's limited at best. Some of the best thing you can do for people. Okay, phone calls. I'm not trying to knock phone calls. Phone calls can be amazing for certain people at certain times. But you gotta be. I gotta see people face to face. You gotta be with each other. You've gotta support each other. And if if we learned anything from 2020 to, to 2022, the, the mess and our at times foolish overreaction to what happened, we have to realize we need each other. And we've been created in the image of God. And a person at the end of the internet, who you may think is the most amazing person ever, the most amazing teacher, I guarantee you, you probably, you know, and you might even be neglecting to listen to your own minister and his own preaching. You might not think he's that great or whatever. But I guarantee you, if you had this guy, at the, whoever you listen to on the internet, whether they're as part of Ligonier, and I love Ligonier, by the way, I love Ligonier Ministries, I listen to him a lot. But if you had that person as a minister, you, you'd see his flaws as we all have flaws. And I guess what I'm saying is everybody looks amazing from a distance. You see their best things. You see their books. You see this. You see that. And so every, you know, everything on the internet looks amazing sometimes. I guess what I'm saying is the grass isn't always greener farther away. Sometimes we don't realize what we have in our local communities in our own churches, is far better than the podcast, the YouTube videos we're following, or anything else like that. I'm not against these things. They're useful, but it's a bit like vitamins in your diet. You don't depend upon them. Be involved in your local church. And if you say, oh, well, our church doesn't do this, that, and the other, you know, maybe evangelism. Well, maybe ask can something be done towards evangelism? Have you made any efforts to start doing evangelism? 
Um, maybe there's not much fellowship. Maybe you could start up a group. I don't know. Invite a few people to a coffee shop. Have you done anything in the church of which you're a part of, to which you are frustrated? Have you done anything personally to change it? And I'm not saying when, when people don't do what you do want immediately, then you fall out with them and you encourage them. Be thankful when there are some changes. There's no perfect church. So be a positive influence where you are. It's easy to kind of point at other people and other things like that. Encourage them. You know, there's a, that old saying, it's you catch more flies with honey. And uh, sometimes we can be very, very critical where we shouldn't be. And by the way, I'm guilty of this as well. I, I think a lot of my earlier programs were probably guilty of this as well, if I'm being honest. And um, yeah, the last, the last four years of training for the ministry has changed me as a person. And I thank God for that. And, and, and it should. If anybody says, you have changed, and if they don't like that, <laughs> well, hopefully I've been changed to be more like Christ, hopefully. Um, but I should change. We should all be changing. We should all be being changed by the Spirit of God. And with all that said, I hope this isn't incredibly sad news for anybody, because hopefully you're part of a, a, a good church. And if you're, whatever church you're in, as long as it's a preaching the gospel, get involved. Okay, if they ask you to do something wrong and sinful, just don't be involved in that, but get involved in anything you can get involved with. Okay? All right. So with all that, and with all that amazing news and my slight rant afterwards, um, just ask for your prayers as time goes forward. So, let us look into this clip from... I'm going to play this for those who you're not aware. Maybe you're listening to this and you don't have a clue who the Babylon Bee are. Um, it's possible. And um, Ben Shapiro here at the beginning of this program gives an introduction to what's so significant about the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee's intersection of news and Christian church humor may have seemed more niche at one point. Today, it's the most popular satire on the internet, dominating where The Onion once stood. In our episode, we'll talk about why. Our guest, Seth Dillon, bought the bee in 2018. Coming from a career in e-commerce and specialized in monetizing web traffic, Seth has led their publication to greater heights. At the time Seth purchased the site, they pulled 3 million page views per month. Now, they average 20 million page views per month. Seth and the bee are busier than ever. They're doing sketches, books, including a brand new one, The Babylon Bee Guide to Democracy, plus... Newfound collaboration with the popular account Libs of TikTok, known for its reposts of radical lefty TikToks. Mainstream media and big tech often censor, quote-unquote, misinformation in order to censor those with opposing views. Whether out of idiocy or fear, the Babylon Bee is regularly fact-checked for its jokes, leading to the penalization of their social media accounts. In early 2022, a joke led to their official Twitter account being fully suspended. Seth has refused to remove that tweet. The account is still locked as of this episode's release. We dive into the adventure of making satire in the current political climate in this episode. Plus, Seth reacts to his abortion debate with Joe Rogan going viral. We discuss the backlash on conservatives for criticizing the Boston Children's Hospital gender surgery scandal. And we ask, is there anything that's too hard to make a joke about? Okay, so that might give you a little bit of a flavor of what we're dealing with. And um, with Seth Dillon, 
it's particular with his the, the the interesting conversation that they had with regards to abortion. So this is in the program. If you if you if you want to listen to this entirety, it's Seth Dillon, the Ben Shapiro show Sunday special episode 131. Again, this was recorded near the end of September. So this was a few weeks ago. Um, again, I just happened to be listening to some in my in my car when I was driving, and I was like, "Oh, that'd be interesting to respond to." So we're going to go through this. It's not that anything was particularly said that was heinous and terrible that was said during this program. I agreed with a lot of it at times, um, but I will have to say this: the reason I said at the beginning I wasn't I wasn't really a fan of the Babylon Bee, never have been. This has nothing really to do with the the, the controversy over the way they presented the gospel if you want to use it like that with elon musk uh, you know i don't think they acted right i know for a fact they didn't act right and many people are really annoyed with them for how the, the gospel was not presented or was presented however you want to put it with elon musk uh, they have incredible pull the fact that elon musk you know is a big fan of theirs and things like that this isn't the reason why i'm like not a big fan I've never really been a big fan of any, I'll be honest, with any kind of group or any kind of website that is entirely dedicated towards humor and whatever form that is. If that is its primary goal, am I against humor? No. <laughs> Some of, like, oh, there, there are people that are just, some of, my, some of my favorite people were Christians or just, they're just incredibly funny people. But their whole reason for their entirety, they're not just goofballs. They're not, it isn't just centered around being funny for them. They just happen to be funny. And am I against having a laugh? No, 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 no. And I, and I don't want it to come across that way. They're, I remember in college, one or two of my professors, you, they would just have me in stitches. You know, they were just really, really funny people. Um the guy who's a convener of our college. Um, I'm not at our college anymore, but he is just absolutely hilarious. And he, I could never in a million years ever be nearly as fun. And he just happens to be just that way. Okay. I kind of call it a dry sense of humor. Just, he's just brilliant. Um, I'm not against Christian humor at all, but those two examples that I use, they're, they're, they're both serious men, and they're both men, I can think of off the top of my head, who I, I have a, a massive amount of respect for, and they just happen to be funny. Actually, you know, m most people who are godly that I know, if you get to know them long enough, you find a, an area of humor that you both find interesting, and that you just find each other funny and joke. If you can't have a laugh at something, something's wrong, okay? So I don't want it to come across them against you. Not at all. Not at all. But our primary goal is not to be funny. Actually, I know for a fact, if I, if I tried to be funny, I'm certainly not. I just, you know, be myself and whatever. Um, but, you know, if I, even my kids... They laugh at me sometimes, and if I try to be funny with them, it's not nearly as funny. So, not against humor, 
having fun yes 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 all the way brilliant and some memes i find hilarious and i don't think they cross any line but the but my problem is this i'm getting to my point finally is when a thing is dedicated its primary reason for existing is to be funny the problem with it is eventually you will cross lines eventually you will do things that are inappropriate eventually inevitably you will, you know, especially when you're Christian and all this kind of stuff, you will cross that line of going over the third commandment. And you probably say, where are the examples? I've seen one or two. I've seen plenty of things that don't cross any lines on the Babylon Bee. So am I saying every single thing from the Babylon Bee is inappropriate or whatever? No. To be honest, I've even shared one or two of their posts from about the last year. So I don't have a blanket ban and saying never ever find anything funny from the Babylon Bee or you're a terrible person. Not what I'm saying. Actually, some of what they say is really funny. But I just think it gets, you will cross the line. If you're a Christian and your whole thing, your whole shtick is about being funny. And by the way, this goes for any website I've seen like this. You know, it'll be a mixed bag of things that are fine, but then eventually it'll be inappropriate. And especially, caution anybody who's in the ministry. I know men who are in the ministry have a tremendous amount of respect for them, and they happen to be funny. But they're not clowns. They're serious people. They're godly people. When they give you advice, you take it seriously. But they're also, you know, at times, you know, they'll have you in stitches. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not, I'm just trying to be very, very clear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. But they're serious men. And when they, when they say something, you take notice of it. They speak with wisdom. They are trying to be, first and foremost, godly men. Holy men. Who are not afraid at the same time of having a laugh. But the primary role is to be like Christ, not to be funny. So I don't want it to create... See, what can happen in certain conservative circles in such a reaction to this is, well, you know what? The, the more dour I look, the more gray and sad I look, the more holy I am. No. Okay, and let's not go down that that can That caricature can exist in certain places. So I don't, I don't want to encourage that either with people who've got tender consciences. I get that. Have fun. Have fun, especially within your family. Have fun, all that kind of thing. But I'm, I'm not a fan of this kind of concept of Christian, if you want to call it Christian ministry, because it does go wrong very quickly. We saw with the Elon Musk interview, I'm not going to go back in over all that again, but their attempts... For that interview to work in a Christ-honoring way, it would have to be not funny. Because Elon Musk is lost. And it's a serious thing where he's going to spend an eternity in hell without Christ. Nothing to joke about there. Nothing to find giddy about there. Nothing to... Okay. Um... Are there other contexts we could find other things humorous? Sure. But certainly not in that context. And that's his primary need. That's the thing he needs the most rather than being funny. 
And to see the pressure is on. You know, when you get popular, you're a Christian, you get popular because you're the funny person. Again, the examples I used earlier were not the reason why people listen to them. It's not because they're funny. People listen to them because they're got wisdom. They're wise. Oh, my phone's going off there. That that's you seek to be as a Christian, be a wise person. But don't be afraid of having fun either. Do you know what I mean? The order in which things come in. So that's my by the way about Babylon B. Um. This is 26 minutes into it. This is talking about the internet as, as a kind of a town square and free speech and all that. We'll, we'll comment on it. We'll play the, the, the clip first and then we'll comment on it. I don't think he was thinking of it in those terms. He's thinking of it in terms of there's a problem here. No one's dealing with it. Congress isn't dealing with it. Courts aren't dealing with it. The... This is Elon Musk's attempt, by the way, to buy Twitter and it hasn't happened. It's on again. I don't really follow it all. But what I'm interested in is Seth Dillon's comments with regards to Twitter itself being kind of a town square of free speech. The public square, if it exists today, is digital, right? Like, it's a, the modern, he calls it the town square, the digital town square. That's what he thinks of Twitter as being, Facebook as being, like these big tech platforms are in fact the town square of the modern age. So if free speech doesn't exist there, then it doesn't exist anymore. So what do we do about that? That is incredibly depressing. There's an element of truth in what he's saying, right? And this is... Massively unfortunate, and this needs to change. <laughs> um, discourse is absolutely hamstrung on the internet. Say, so, well, this is just where it's taking place. This is the town square. We got to go where everybody's going. Well, if if this is bringing out, which it does, it accentuates some of the most loud and often horrible aspects of people. Did you ever meet, did you ever like get added on Facebook and you think this guy's a bit of a, this guy's a bit dodgy or, you know, you think maybe he's very argumentative or you get a certain impression of somebody from their Twitter feed or from their Facebook or whatever. And then you get to meet them and you go, whoa, he's completely different to what I thought or she's completely different or whatever the case may be. It's not that the internet's fake. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's, it's easier to lie on the internet, by the way. It's easier for people to lie. But people can pick what they show of themselves. The impression that they give. So you're really not interacting with the whole person. You're interacting with a small bit of them. You're interacting with a picture, and probably the one with the best lighting. And the, You know what I'm saying here. Am I against the internet and I think you should never go on social media ever? No. But the fact that the town square where we have discussion is on social media? Is that true? Somewhat. Somewhat. I'm not, I'm not even disputing that. What I'm saying is we should aim to change that because what has it led to? People with the attention spans of, you know, the TikToks and all this kind of thing. This is where it's going. So that we want people to say, well, I want to be involved in the discussion. Well, you're going to get sucked into that Twitter world? I got rid of my Twitter account, I don't know, six months ago, whenever it was. It brings out the worst in many Christians. It does. It fuels gossip. It 
it kind of brings in echo chambers, just the, the way the, the website's designed and things like that, of things that only people can agree with, right? You know, you have to agree with, you know, in these forums and other things like that. You just get people agreeing with each other. And that's it. And then it creates in the world, people struggle with relationships because not everybody's going to agree with you. You're going to go into a church and they're sitting next to you and you have a different opinion to them on Bible versions. You have a different opinion to them on head covering. You have a different opinion to them on... Name something that people get passionate about. And I'm not saying that these issues aren't important. But you're going to be among God's people and you're not going to agree with them on everything. And when you struggle to have a relationship with somebody you don't agree with on everything, guess what? You're not going to have many friends. You're not going to have the patience to guide them, to encourage them. The only people you encourage, perhaps are only people you agree with on everything. And then when they don't agree with you on everything, well, they're trouble. Oh, yes. Oh, they're trouble. And that's, I think, what Twitter, Facebook, to a certain extent, I don't think to the same degree, and other websites, I don't know. I I signed up to Instagram, but I don't really use it. I think that that's what it fosters. Again, I'm not saying get rid of all your accounts. I'm saying let's not go all in on the town square is on Twitter. Because that's a dangerous place to go. I probably dealt with some of these issues before when I did a program called The Internet's Dangers. We need to be out, I I think, more and more. The more I kind of feel strongly about this, the more we we got to be out there in the streets. Whether that's open air. If you haven't been called to preach, just go with a friend of yours from the church. Give out tracts. Maybe somebody will talk to you. Maybe somebody will ask you a question. Pray beforehand. Encourage each other. Um, you know, ask will ask will the, some of the members you know from your church go out. Ask will, some, will the pastor go out with you? That something will take place. Now, if something is already kind of taking place, maybe just join in with that at the beginning, rather than uh, I say that as like just don't kind of come in and say hey you know that you're going to be dictating the terms in which things take place. But I'm talking more if if there's nothing really happening. That we need to be out there in the actual public square, actually talking to people. And friends, I I, I implore you that this is going to be so much more fruitful to your own spiritual walk. If you do something, right, cut off the amount of time you spend on the internet, and you're going to be a much happier person. You're probably going to say, well, I should probably stop listening to this program. Maybe you should. I don't know. (laughs) But just what the internet and social media does to us, it, 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 I don't want to use the word depression, but it it, it doesn't influence us in a good way. It heightens our fears. It exacerbates our worst weaknesses. The devil absolutely loves this. Again, I'm not saying... Again, it's a tool, I get that. But it's a tool... Look, if you've got a chainsaw... You don't start cutting with a chainsaw when you're tired. And when you're more likely to have an accident. You're careful at certain times. 
Well, I'm saying, you know, the internet is a tool as well, but it's also kind of a dangerous tool because at certain times you look at the internet and it has more of an impact on you. Maybe, say, after a certain time of the evening, you're not going to look at the internet anymore. You're not going to look at the internet before your Facebook account before you go to bed. You cut off access to certain things. Maybe you have to stay away from your phone, whatever the case may be. Everybody's different. I don't want to give you prescribed rules, but you know what affects you. Experiment. See if you can stay away from it for long enough. See how it affects your mood. But I won't worry about this as if, you know, we've got to... I'm like, if, if Twitter kicks off all the conservatives and the, and the, and the Christians and everything else, and, and Facebook kicks it off, I actually think in a certain sense they'll probably be doing us a favor because we're depending way too much upon it. And we, maybe we'll get out then on the streets and give out track and talk to people. Who's stopping us from doing that? Now, that does happen a few times. I'm not saying it never happens. But who's stopping you from doing that? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're in our homes, and we've, we've got to be able to post online. We may get a lot of likes on our posts, but is that really fruit? Lasting fruit for the kingdom. The Great Commission is about what? Going into all the world. Preach the gospel. Right? And people then being added to the church. It has to be with the church. Like, okay, I'm not saying never go out with people who are, you know, people from other churches. No, no, join up with other churches. Do different things. You can go with various people and all that kind of thing. You know, the Great Commission. Uh, It says in the end of Matthew 28. Verse 18 to the end of the chapter, and and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the age. Amen. Basically, unto the end of time. baptizing them. The idea is they're being added to the church. But you hear with these people, people have emailed me they got saved through sermons they heard online. Praise God, hopefully they did. But it's not a really credible profession of faith. If somebody says to you, I trusted in Jesus, but I have never walked in the steps of faith laid out in the uh, steps of obedience laid out in the Bible. I have never joined a church. Now, maybe you live in an area that there's no sound church. Now, by the way, I'm not saying a perfect church. But if there's a church in your area that preaches the gospel, and you do not at least go there regularly, you're living sinfully. I don't care. Travel, move, do all sorts of things. Church, make that your priority. Be there as much as you possibly can. Be fed under the word. Be blessed by being around the saints of God. People, we have to be around people. And yes, you know, we may get excited about the Elon Musk trying to take over Twitter thing. But I think perhaps for, for the Christian church, maybe it'd be much better. 
we were all booted off. If, if the devil wanted to boot us all off social media, maybe it would force us into the, the real public square. Just, just some food for thought. We'll continue with playing this. And he's just thinking in terms of, well, I have the resources to do something about it, so maybe I should step in and do something about it. it. I applaud him for that. It, it, no, for sure. I mean, it's been, it's been fascinating to watch as he turned from a person who was... The- okay, so um, that's about Elon Musk. Anyway, and I just thought that was interesting uh, to com- I would comment on that. 29 minutes into it, um, he talks about... He appeared on the Joe Rogan program. I don't necessarily recommend i'll sometimes listen to clips from joe rogan but the problem is joe rogan curses a lot in his program and things like that so i can't really recommend it to people just maybe the odd time listen with caution and um there can be stuff you can dip in and out of but there are times when joe rogan is completely inappropriate and it wouldn't be good for anybody to listen to that the but Seth Dillon was on the Joe Rogan program or the Joe Rogan podcast. And uh, on that, the issue of abortion comes up. Now, Joe Rogan is off the left. He's quote unquote pro-choice, pro-abortion, all that kind of stuff. I have not seen the original interview, but I was, I'm commenting really on both Ben Shapiro and Seth Dillon, who would be both pro-life commenting on arguments relating to the protection of life and just areas where, okay, I agree with a lot of what they're saying. I do. I just think that they're missing things and uh, we'll comment, we'll play it first and then we'll comment after. On the side of you should be able to make these jokes. You should be able to have free speech. Um, But we got on the subject of abortion somehow. And I don't remember, I'd have to go back and watch. I don't remember exactly how it started, who brought it up, me or him. Um, but that was where we kind of butted heads. Yeah, and that, that was the, the sort of situation that went viral. And it, I thought it was a yeah. great example of how media coverage diverges because everybody who's on our side of the aisle, everybody who's pro-life was like, this is a great exchange for Seth. Like Seth yeah. did a really good job of explaining <laughs> pro-life position. He didn't back down. He didn't get shy when, when he was asked about the edge issues because you know the, the pro-choice side, they, they like to argue the, the edge issues as opposed to arguing the 99% of actual abortions, which are elective in nature. Instead, they like to argue rape or incest mm-hmm. or life of the woman. Uh, they, they like to argue all those edge cases, and, and you really didn't back down on, for example, rape and incest. And so people on the right were like, this is great. And then the way that, that was portrayed in, in the left-wing media is look at this extremist Seth Dillon and how Joe Rogan really would shed it in. Yeah. Now, I lo- this part I do like, and this ag- I, I do agree with, um, that they're using a- the edge issues, rape, incest, really, really difficult cases, which are playing in the heartstrings of many, many people and make people feel horrible and sick to their stomach and things like this. But the the solution to the cr- an unspeakable crime is not another unspeakable crime. So I agree with him there, and I think he seemed to have handled it well from what I can see. Um, again, I'm going completely on this interview, not the original interview, just for context. So I agreed with a lot of things, but from a Christian perspective, unfortunately, God is left out of the picture in much of how we argue this. And our view of who God is and who we are in relation to God is absolutely central and cannot be dispensed with at any point if we're to argue 
that that baby in the womb should not be killed. And I'll explain as we go along and go back to our clip. Yeah. And that, that really wasn't what the conversation was. No, but he did. You're right, though. It's the edge. It's, it's the emotional argument. You know, he tried to bring in the case, the most emotional case he could think of. Um, and, you know, he has a daughter who's a teenager and brought his daughter up as an example of, you know, if my daughter were to get raped and get pregnant, you know, are you, are, do you have the right, you think you have the right to tell her that she's got to keep that baby. And, you know, I think it's very disingenuous if people on the left are going to use those examples as their argument for why abortion should just be available on demand. Because what percentage of pregnancies happen in those circumstances where you have a 14-year-old who's been raped? It's a very, very small percentage of, of, of pregnancy. So even if you have somebody, somebody, let's say, for example, I had conceded the point and said, okay, Joe, you know, she should be allowed in that, in that case to get an abortion. Um, then we have to have, now let's have a conversation about all the other abortions. You right. know, like, now what about those? By the way, I think this is a really good argument. This is a really good argument. Okay, just say, for argument's sake. I mean, it, it, no, you don't concede this, by the way, you don't. You know, you don't do unspeakable crime on unspeakable crime. But what about the other 99%? You see, because people will do this in arguments all the time. They'll go with the most difficult cases. Well, you've got to be able to to prove this extremely hard point. Otherwise, you have no basis for what you're doing for your general principle. And I think that's a good way of arguing. So I agree with a lot of the things he's saying here, but there are things in a minute, moment we'll see that both he and Ben are kind of leaving out that are essential to how we understand these things. It's not rape. It was consensual sex. Uh, you know, they didn't use any kind of contraceptive. And so you're, you have a baby and you're not ready to have a baby. Is that okay? Um, if it's not okay, then, you know, then you, what, what, are your, what is your argument going to be in those cases? And of course, they usually end up going off into something about, you know, some kind of like self-defense argument, you know, that it's like, uh, it's going to be a financial burden, uh, right. you know, or it's going to, I have bodily autonomy and I don't, I don't choose to give up my bodily autonomy. It's a threat to my bodily autonomy. So it's always like this, I have to defend myself against this thing that's coming into my area and it's going to mess up my whole life. Um, and so then you're on much shakier ground when you're trying to make that case, because do you really have the right to use lethal force against a threat of that nature? You know, it's not a threat of imminent death or great bodily harm. That you're, it's just a baby, you know? A baby, not a bomb. Who happens to be yours, by yeah. the way. Who Again, I agree with all of this. I was speaking there for a second there, and I muted my mic. I agree with what he's saying here. Um, but we're going to skip ahead to the part I don't really... So, I wanted to point out what I agree with. Good points, and I think we could definitely use them... As we're talking with people, okay, well, what about the other cases? But we've got to not leave behind the most important thing we're witnessing for the God's truth and revealed both in nature, we've got a general revelation, and in the Bible. Actually, there's a really good book I would recommend anybody get if you're interested in apologetics. And it is, is it the most, if you're big into apologetics, the book Reforming Apologetics by J.V. Fesco. Absolutely love the book. It might be a bit heavy for somebody starting off to understand this, but um, anything J.V. Fesco writes is... I Anything I've read by J.V. Fesco, I've absolutely loved. So 
reforming apologetics, I would recommend anybody's interested in, in apologetics. Um, it, it's a challenge to the most dominant view of today, which is presuppositionalism. Uh, Vantillianism, it's also known as, which we would agree with. I would agree with a lot of what Vantillians would say and way to defend the faith and things like that. But I think what, what what's missing is there are other arguments that can be used as well on top of that. And it just be, kind of becomes a, what I would call a truncated defense. But again, I would, you'd have to read that book. It's really, really well done. And um, really putting together in a far simpler way than Francis Turton did a couple of hundred years ago, um, the kind of more classical approach to apologetics. Not everybody who's classical in their apologetics, by the way, has identical views. So, you know, you might find, and I might find, along with you, a person who believes in classical apologetics and will disagree with them. So, but I would recommend get that book by J.B. Fesco. Now, now, tying in with that, we're going to be looking at, do we need to have a religious argument, quote-unquote, for abortion? Or can we just say, well, it's just scientific? We'll just play this clip now from this interview. It started. Okay, so we're talking pro-life issues here, and one of the things that, that I find happens a lot when I debate these issues is you'll make a bunch of dispassionate, non-religious arguments, and then somebody will come back and say, well, this is just because you, you believe in the Bible. Yeah, that's a problem off the get-go. As Christians, we cannot have... I know what people are saying, right? I know what people are saying to a degree, but it is. And I know, dispassionate, fine. But the only way that baby has any value and should not, how it has any value is because it's creating an image of God. The only reason any life, human life, has value is because we were creating the image of God. Imagine Dale. Without that image, what makes us any different from the vet putting down a dog? You know, could you compare euthanasia? of an elderly person who doesn't want to live for a couple more years and, you know, is whatever, you know, has has non, doesn't have the greatest reasons for wanting to end their life early. We, we, we would be against that as Christians, obviously. And, but what about the dog who's in poor health and all that kind of thing? And somebody might decide to bring it to the vet or something like that. Well, you'd be horrified with the person because human life is creating the image of God. And it's valuable. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But we're to have dominion over the animals. The animals were not created in the image of God. Animals, different animals, are used for food, for clothing, for all sorts of things. So we have to, in our, we have to really think: what makes the difference? Is all life the same value? Why does human life have more value than animal life? Because of the way we've been made by God. So we can't be, we can't take our, our, our belief about God, our, our religious art, out of this argument. It's essential to it.
But did I even cite the Bible? Have I mentioned God anywhere in this conversation? But it is incredible how there's this sort of emotivism that goes on where when people start to lose the argument, they immediately ascribe a motivation to you. You hate women. Mm-hmm. You must be doing this because you're a Bible thumper. It can never be just maybe the argument is convincing on its own. Maybe there's an actual natural law argument in favor of preserving the lives of the unborn, for example. Okay, a natural law argument. Okay. From nature is revealed a law... that what certain things are wrong and certain things are good who whose law is that that's god's law the heavens declare the glory of god the wrath of god that's that's psalm 19:1 but the wrath of god has been revealed from heavens above That's Romans, what is it, Romans one eighteen. So, from nature, because it is the handiwork of God, it reveals his goodness, his wisdom, his love, his justice. That's the natural law. It's his law. The law of God is perfect and converts the soul in sin that lies. So, it's not a different law. It, it, the reformers would have talked about years and years ago in J.B. Fesco's book, Reforming Apologetics, goes into this as well. There's the book of nature and the book of scripture. Scripture is far clearer, and we need to test everything from scripture, okay? And scripture is necessary because otherwise we wouldn't have gotten scripture and things like that. But there are certain things revealed in nature. There's a light, the light of every man that cometh into the world. That's the light of nature. That's John 1, 9. And so when we learn science and we learn about the laws of nature, we're really learning about how a thing was made. And by learning about a thing that was made, you also learn about the maker. Who's the maker of it all? God. See, we have, and we should stop doing this. We have detached from many sciences, forms of intellectual pursuit and whatever. We've separated from God. Rather than saying, you know what? Imagine, right? The person who's studying nature and and, and in their job, say they're a geologist or whatever, and the more they understand about the world around them, the more they think, oh, look at the, how amazing, look at these animals and look at, look at nature, how it interacts with each other and, and the perfect balance. And it shows the wisdom and the skill of God. Because God made all these things. God sustains all these things. God maintains all these things. But it's amazing when we talk about nature sometimes, we can become, we can speak like atheists. Now I know Ben Shapiro is not a believing Christian. He's a, he's a, he's a he's a religious Jew. Seth Dillon, I'm not exactly. Sh- I'm, I think he's a professing Christian. I'm not exactly sure what his views are, whether it's a nominal kind of a nominal Christianity or I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't want to make a claim one way or the other. But we need to be careful. We can all do this true Christians, whatever, it doesn't matter. We can all start to talk about nature 
as if we are atheists, as if the the nature is its own thing, separate from the almighty hand of God. Like when the storms come, they come from the hand of God. When the rain, the wind, everything comes from the hand of God. We must, we, we talk like deists almost. As if God, yeah, made the world. But after that, and, and so it comes with the abortion debate. The only reason human life is so valuable is because it's been created in the image of God. Lose that argument and well you we we lose our entire foundation for anything. Yeah, and I, I did mention that, you know, uh there are a lot of atheists who are pro life. Um the argument that I gave, I, I laid out a syllogism. Okay. Let's let's take that. Yeah, they're atheists who are pro pro life, and I know this. But where are they getting that information? That it is wrong to kill a child in the womb. They're getting that information from nature. It's wrong to kill. You see the devastation. You see the hurt it causes. You, you, you learn around you that it is wrong to kill. Things like that. But also a conscience. Uh, bring us there to uh, Romans 2.15. Our conscience, we create in the image of God. The fact that, okay, that law of God is being suppressed by the truth and right. Um, it's been suppressed. But in in Romans 2.15, it says this. This is talking about the Gentiles, the unbelievers, who show the work of the law. I better read, actually, verse 14 as well. Verse 14 and 15, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accuse or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, their conscience reveals to them the law of God. And so some of these people will see and not suppress that truth. Now you'd say, well, isn't man a slave? Isn't, you know, aren't we totally depraved? Aren't we, you know, unable to save ourselves? Yes, we're completely slaves. We're unable to save ourselves. But it doesn't mean that lost, a lost person will have no idea about the law of God at all. That the lost person will not do. Obviously, our greatest deeds are with filthy rags. We're sinners. But there is a degree of which God restrains us through our conscience, even as lost people. We don't love, you know, a lost person doesn't love God. But can often agree with many parts of the law of nature and things like that. Now, which is good because that maintains society. If nobody believed that it was wrong to kill your neighbor, well, it'd be a bloodbath everywhere. 
Or, you know, people believe it's wrong to steal. Where is that information come from? The law of God, you know. So the second table of the law there. It's revealed by God. God reveals this. And they have a conscience. It doesn't mean that they'll repent unless the Spirit of God gives them a new heart and a new nature. They're not going to turn from self to Christ. But they'll have to see elements of it. Now, there are some unbelievers as well who are so, their conscience is so seared that they don't even have any fear of God whatsoever. But generally speaking, a lot of them will see this. And it's possible to have atheists. But it doesn't mean that this information, as my point is, is revealed from the law of God. Let's play. It didn't cite a Bible verse. You know, it just, it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human. So you can quote the Bible verse from Exodus 20, but they also know because of that, what has been revealed in their heart. This is why in Romans 1, they are without excuse from the law of of nature for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 and it says in verse 19 because what may be known of man is manifested manifest in them for God has shown it to them who showed it to them God has shown it to them not man not science not just yeah yeah nature but nature is God showing it Verse 20, and this is speaking again about people without a Bible, things like that, the Gentiles. For God is manifest in them. Uh, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, or that word Godhead could also be translated as deity, so that they are without excuse. Everyone's without excuse, even if you have no Bible. You know it's wrong to kill. You'll go to a place around the world and often people will agree, for example, that it is wrong to kill, it is wrong to steal. You get tribes who've never encountered any Christian literature or whatever and they'll believe it's wrong to cheat and steal and kill and divorce and things like that. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But generally speaking, you'll see a lot of these elements around the world. Why? Because of the conscience. And because he's God's invisible attributes are been manifested in the world around them. That's God showing it to them. And while I agree with a lot of, from the point of view of the arguments that Seth Dillon has given with regards to abortion, things like that. And, you know, I don't want to be... These aren't terrible arguments he's giving, but I think this is pretty common. It's very easy for us to take God out of the equation. We can't. I think if we, when we do, and if we do, we'll dishonor God. And I think we just need to be careful with that and see where we know about these things. That God would be glorified in all that we do. That's not, that's not, I think we all agree on that. You don't have to, you don't have to believe in the Bible to believe that that's, that premise and that argument is true. Um, it is, you know, to, to suggest that this is a religious argument when we're talking about, you know, when does life begin? That's a scientific question. You can answer that question by looking at a biology textbook, not your Bible, right? And that's what I was really challenging him on was when he was saying, look, you know, so are you saying that when, 
when fertilization happens, you know, in, in, in this, you have this like developing life form that at that precise moment, some kind of magic happens, some kind of miracle happens where, where, you know, the life suddenly becomes valuable. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the place where, where you have a distinct new life coming into existence. Otherwise you have some arbitrary place along the line in this, in this new human's development where you're suggesting that they suddenly become valuable. That's more of a religious conviction than anything else. That's much more of a of a faith belief that uh, I can just pinpoint a time on this. Now, the the problem I have with the, the use of faith here, and we've got to be careful that we don't do this, so we make faith sound like this leap in the dark. And it can be, and it's easy to do. We can all do it. Okay, I'm not. I'm, I'm again. I'm. I hope. I hope. I hope. I'm not coming across hammering Seth here. I'm just purely for educational purposes. Hopefully, it'll help somebody out there. But we've got to just be careful that we don't. Um, talk about faith in in the sense that it's just you know we cover our eyes and leap in the dark we need to we need to just show what they're trusting in and what they're suppressing and i know sometimes yeah religious belief will get a character caricatured like that but we gotta i suppose as christians we really need to to talk about what faith is, it is not some blind leap in the dark. That's superstitious. It is something based upon evidence. The apostles were eyewitnesses. There was signs, gifts, miracles, and wonders. We have the, the scriptures predicting the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11 proving before these things happen that it is God who's speaking. So um, we have lots of reasons to believe the Bible, that it is infallible and without error. You know, where it becomes valuable based on what? Um, and if you go back to where life begins, you're using a scientific argument uh, as well. You know, obviously there's a moral reasoning there. It's a human life and you're, and you're ascribing value to it. Um, but that's the place where it makes sense. Why? Why? It's a human life. This is what I'm just, I just want people to think. And I'm not saying you're a terrible person if you argue like this in front of people. You, you may well have helped people. But we've, we need to honor God in the sciences. We need to honor God in so many different places. And it, it just, it really does sadden me that it wouldn't be great, wouldn't it, just to think about God as we, if you work out in nature, if you work out in a job, and if you've got an outdoor job, and you look around you and see the creation, you see nature at work, and you think about, wow, isn't someone, okay, isn't nature amazing? Yes, it is. Why is it amazing? Why is it so beautiful and intricate and working together? Because of the God who made it. And the more you study it, the more you learn of the skill, the wisdom, and the power, and the goodness of Almighty God. It's from Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.